second time recently that we've skipped a week. Yeah, we, we skipped a week, and then we did one week, and then we skipped another week, and then we're doing this week. So would we've been like, every other week, and it's been your fault. Would you like to explain to all of our friends why it is that we've skipped a week? Oh, it's my fault. It is your fault. It's partially my fault. If it if it hadn't already been your fault, it would have been my fault. How is it already my fault? Because <laughs> neither of us could record last week. I would have made the effort. You would have made the effort, but you shouldn't have. Yeah. And so I didn't let you. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder for people who are just listening to the, to this show for the first time. I wonder what they're, what they're thinking right now. What is wrong with these guys? <laughs> no, we've just been. There's super, a lot wrong with us. First of super all, super busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, just the way that deadlines and work happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm having some problems. Well, they're not problems. They're just normal challenges. Challenges. They're opportunities. <laughs> I don't know. They're not problems. I, 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 I worked for this company one time where they it was illegal to, or not. It was banned to say the word problem or issue. You had to use the word opportunity. And when I first got there, I kept hearing about all these people talking about opportunities. I was like, that's, that's broken. How's that? In, and, and it just took me a while to register what so they were trying me, to do. Let with me practice words. this. The IRS has an opportunity to collect more tax from me than money that I have. I guess. <laughs> okay. Is that, is that a good one? <laughs> I guess that's a good one. Okay. It's just as good as any reason. Yeah. But yeah. It was, it was one of those weird, weird things that, that uh, I picked up on it at some point in my life opportunity hmm. yeah issues were an opportunity all right but yeah i've been having a lot of opportunities to, to pull my hair out how about that hmm. just some of it's just issues with the platform um which we can talk about a little bit later in the show some lightning stuff um some of it's just expectation management with the client where you think you're on the same page and you think you're delivering things even though i'm having a mad scramble to get it done and under compressed timelines which is another issue altogether um, but then to deliver it and to be like, I kicked butt, I delivered this. I know it's not perfect, but I delivered it, demo it, and just for them to just not react very well. Not not react not well to it, but are somewhat underwhelmed because they expected this big bang thing in their head that they never expressed to me. Like I built what they had in their wireframes. And they're like, but I want it to be, they're, they're on the emotional side of things. Like they want it to be fun and exciting oh, yeah. and this and that. And I'm like, well. They want it to be dazzled and amazed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't have time or budget to uh, amaze you at this point. Yeah. Um, if you want to open up the purse and talk to my bosses about uh, opening up my schedule to be fully dedicated to your project, then we can we can arrange that. Right. Yeah. I would just say, speaking of that in general, like I've I know that it's kind of lame nowadays to use like a CSS framework, or certainly one of the common ones like Bootstrap or whatever. But you know, the thing is, like, and I've actually been using um. One called Bulma. Have you ever heard of Bulma? Did I tell you about Bulma? Sounds familiar, but I don't remember. I think what it's Bulma dot io b u l m a. But uh, I took a look at it mainly because they have there's a good project that basically combines Vue and Bulma, or makes basically turns Bulma into like compo- mainly components for Vue. Where'd they and get that, Bulma from? I don't Is that know. a Dragon Ball Z reference? It could be. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the site's, I mean, I, I, you know, you got to look at the site and it's its super clean and it's well done and the documentation is really good. And that's when I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I should check this out. These guys obviously have a, um, I don't know, a, a, a nice sense of aesthetic, I guess, if that makes any sense. But it turns out that uh, not only is Bulma like really well designed, but it's also, I don't want to say it's minimalistic, but it's definitely, tr- its scope is smaller than Bootstrap. Uh, JavaScript is optional. There are some things that require JavaScript, but uh, but yeah, the, there's a there's a project. I think it's called Bufy or Bufy. B u is it B u e f y? How would you say that? B u e f y. Yeah, B u e 
B-U-E-F-Y. I'd probably say Buffy. Buffy? Buffy? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but it's, that's the project that's they, they basically taken Bulma and, and turned it into a view component and made, basically made it work with view uh, in, a, in a way that's just pretty nice. <clears throat> All right, so I have an answer to so, my own question, my own nerdy question. Okay. Uh, so someone asked in the Git repository for Bulma, did Dragon Ball have anything to do with the naming of it? And uh, one of the responses was, absolutely. Initially, the project was supposed to be na- a theme generator named Trunks, which Trunks is another Dragon Ball Z character. Uh, but that was already taken. Uh, imagine dividing the generator into capsules, and capsules was a thing in, in Dragon Ball. Okay. Um, so, yeah. There Interesting. I would have Interesting never trivia. Only, only you would have informed me of that. I had no idea. <laughs> but it's, no, it's really nice, and uh, it's it's more minimalistic than Bootstrap. And and I'm not, I won't say it's better. It's not better or worse. It's definitely different. They've got some different philosophies. And it's one of those things, if, if you're coming from Bootstrap, or if that's kind of something you're used to, switching to a different framework that, Approaches things from a slightly different philosophy or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little it's a little different. You have to like learn how they're thinking. Yeah. Um, but uh, Is, isn't it always a bit risky to kind of gravitate to some of these newer ones? Or I mean, how do you feel about that? What do you mean risky to gravitate to new? I don't ones? know. I think I, I I wish I had this in my notes, but I remember reading or uh, seeing an article on Rust and how how this group had really started re- redoing their whole server side architecture on Rust, but found out, you know, there's some languages still learn- growing. It's not full feature. There are quirks and all this kind of stuff. And um, it wasn't like they regretted their decision, but it came with the territory of adopting this new framework. That's always risky. And if you don't, <laughs> it, it just depends on, I mean, are you, do you do the type of work where you just need to, like you're doing basically work for businesses and whatever that just want apps and want shit to get done. Um, is that the kind of work you do? Because if so, then yeah, stick with, well-proven things with big communities because chances are you're not going to come across some problem that someone else hasn't already come across that problem and solved it and put it on Stack Overflow or blogged about it or something. Yeah. Um, now, if you are working, you know, for Netflix and you guys are doing kind of some bleeding edge, you know, engineering, then yeah, I mean, you're going to be, you're going to be pushing boundaries. You're going to be looking for better ways, better languages. And, and I mean, Netflix, they, they open source a ton of tech of technology they invent. Yeah. <clears throat> I think sometimes the, the community around the framework helps too, even if it's a newer Definitely, one. Yeah. yeah. But I try to generally. I'm in that. I'm more in that first category. So I'm looking for things that I'm. I'm very skeptical of something that's got a small community. I mean, I'm always looking for like, okay, how many stars on GitHub does this have? So you're one of those or, underground people. Like, how does, something goes how, mainstream, you're like, I'm out. I'm looking for the next how, underground. No, 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 no. I'm I'm looking for the thing that's that is mainstream. Oh, okay. I, I want to stay fairly. I don't want to get too far out of the mainstream. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so you're pop light. I, I guess. <laughs> I just, you know, when it's 11 o'clock at night and I want to go to bed and I've got to get, figure this thing out before I can get to bed, I, you know, I want, the, I want there to be a lot of people who have come across this problem who have, have solved it and I can just Google it and find it. Yeah, I had one of those situations last night. So, yeah, I mean, and Bulma has got definitely a big enough community. I mean, every problem I've searched for, um, there's been an answer to. And also the, this Bufy as well, or Boofy. Whatever it is, I don't know. Is that not a Dragon Ball Z character as well, John? Not that I'm aware. Of. You need to. I think you need to go do some homework and t- figure out that one for I us. Haven't, I haven't gotten into some of the newer ones, <clears throat> but um, no, it's kind of become my go-to. So now, like, I mean, today I had to do some stuff where I'm I'm just like developing like insane amounts of things in the in the amount of time I'm giving to do it. It's like wow, I, I look back and I'm like, oh my god, I'm I'm like I've been super productive. Like the amount of just pretty good functional and good-looking stuff I'm turning out. It's like, this is, you know... I've seen some of this. I don't know if it's the same stuff you've shown me recently, but I've seen some of it, and I'm, I'm really jealous at some of the stuff you're doing. Well, and even today, it's just... And because, you know, because I know this CSS framework well, it's I can 
you know, within like an hour, I've got the, this new module to an, an app, app kind of built and running, and it looks good. Mm-hmm. Now it's not; it doesn't have some earth-shattering, uh, you know, artistic design that's going to win awards at you know whatever the right the design awards are. But it looks clean and and you know the uh, the the contrasts and the spacing and the white space and wow, I sound like Bill Cosby all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> as long as you keep it just sounding like yeah um <clears throat> you know it all just i mean it's it's it, i don't know i just i know how to use it and it's it's got a lot of good defaults and um and it's you know the this it's actually i use the sas you know usually i use it at the at a sas level so yeah, i can go in and quickly easily change quickly and easily change like the the default colors and all that kind of stuff if you had a so. good design you wouldn't have to change that I don't have a good design. <laughs> I don't have a designer. There's no time. There's no budget for that. I know. I mean, they want it to look like they had a designer, but they don't want to pay for the designer. I know. <laughs> so they expect me to be, oh, you're a database engineer and an artist and a front-end guy and an algorithm specialist, right? You can do all those for us, right? That, that's how I feel yeah, right now. It's like, I, I, that's the, <laughs> actually, the funny thing is they don't say that because they don't even know to say that. They don't. And when they when uh, that happened to me when I did this demo today of <laughs> some stuff I built, and it was very plain Jane. I mean, I knew it wasn't great. I knew it wasn't like earth shattering. You know, like you said, going to win awards, but it was very basic. It was clean. Had clean lines. Had clean spacing. Um, but it was it modeled after their wireframe, which wasn't that great. It was very simple. Uh, but we were just in these first phases to get a prototype or de- something that can be demoed and get feedback on. Uh, but they weren't wowed by it. And, um, and then we started getting the this, this discussion about – they had sent me a uh, branding guideline, which was nothing more than like a copy of a website that had like branding guidelines for like a blog website. But it didn't have like <clears throat> colors. I mean it had – text was colored and your header header elements were – sized but it didn't say what the size were it didn't say yeah. what the pixels were it didn't say what just look at it and figure it yeah, out yeah it didn't say what the actual like there's a blue and it didn't tell you what that blue what the actual hex value of that blue what the yeah. actual rgb was of that blue um and so it was like yeah this was nothing for me to work off yeah. and um so i explained that to them and they're like well how do we get this i'm like well either hire a designer or we go through these iterations where i do mock-ups not code mock-ups and we we iterate on those yeah um so Anyway, um, I don't, I don't like I said earlier. I don't have a lot of content for today, just because I, oh, well, I, was, I, I, I was able to come up for air just long enough to actually record this podcast, not long enough to do any preparation for it. But I did want to talk about. Did I talk to you about um, how I'm having to? So this this is a, a client is a company that uses Salesforce, still use Salesforce, but they're moving some things off of Salesforce. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and one thing they want to do is run reports and the data is in Salesforce. Oh yeah. But they don't want to run the reports in Salesforce. And we're also syncing this data to you know other databases as well. So I've got another databases and and so I but the first thing I thought was, well, okay, so they don't want they don't want that, they don't want people to have to be logged in users or whatever to, to run certain of these reports. So I thought, okay, let me look at this report API. The, I think it's called the analytics API that Salesforce has. And of course, again, I don't have enough time or budget for any of this stuff, so that's that's the underlying theme here. <clears throat> but I look at this report API, and I even I just uh, popped open my th- the best kind of API testing and and exercising tool there is called for those for the Mac Postman. Paw. No Paw. Uh-uh. Paw Postman's pretty good. 
I mean, I like Postman. I've heard of Paw, and I think I've tried it, but Postman's still my favorite. So being the Mac guy that you are and like and having the design aesthetic you have, if you saw Paw, if you used it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm switching to Paw. Yeah. So maybe don't even look at oh, it. Oh, I thought you were going to say Postman. No, 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 no. You would switch to Paw. Oh, really? Yeah. Postman gets the job done. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't get the job done. I'm just saying Paw is, is very well designed. I could have swore I looked at it. So anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm, I, uh, I found what, you know, what the endpoints were I need to hit the, to, to just exercise this analytics API. And I'm, you know, ran a report and I'm looking at the output <clears throat> and I'm like, hmm, this does not look at what I, like what I, I mean, I expected like a thing that was like, you know, you have a JSON response. It's like, you got a, maybe a property for uh, headers, a property for like records or whatever. That's like, that's a list of, of all the records and then, then a property for like, footer or something mm-hmm. and then like you know you just render it in whatever your client is uh no it is <laughs> I, I don't even know how to explain like to me what's a, what a, i perceived as just like ridiculous complexity and i spent an probably an hour or two reading the documentation on it and trying to figure out like how to decode these fact maps and everything i'm just like I am either not smart enough for this or i don't have enough time for this one of the two i don't know yeah. which one it is but i don't have time to figure out which one it is yeah, so I, I remember you bringing that up to me now, and yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> you get past the simple, you know, here's a tab- tabular set of data, and get into like the groupings, which is where all those fact maps come in, really come into. It, yeah, it, I, I had no way of decoding it, and even and just, even the, some of the values to decode were in different places. Like it wasn't in line with the documentation. No, but nothing was in order. It's like I don't even understand this. What? How, yeah. how am I supposed to build a report out of this? Like I was taking like. <laughs> names and, and things it was talking about from the documentation googling which would which i would end up finding in a separate help document somewhere else with the certain values and what it meant i'm like it just yeah, yeah it's just it needs improvement so i and then of course you know the imposter syndrome kicks in and i'm like oh i'm such a dumbass i can't even figure this out you know i'm gonna have to just like do something else that's something something janky instead of using the official api and, and then of course let's let's think of the other the other options i looked at so i looked at literally make like using some kind of you know programmatic http calls mm-hmm. logging into salesforce running the hitting the 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 ui the the, the, the urls for the, the that you would use to the browser to like run a report mm-hmm. and literally like scraping or capturing that output that sounds fun and proxying that back to the client of course that's probably uh, a violation of salesforce's licensing <laughs> terms so let me <laughs> Okay, I didn't say any of that. It was a rewind. It was a cut. <laughs> no, but I didn't. I didn't end up doing that because that that was just even for me. That was too gross. Uh, that was pretty. That's a pretty gross idea. <laughs> but it was yeah. an option. Um, but now what I ended up doing was just since I have the, da- the all this data, all the Salesforce data, it's like synced to real time into the uh, Postgres database. I just built the queries, and I, and I the, I went actually went down the rabbit hole trying to with one query trying to. With one query, um, r- you know, run a query that returned basically what I expected out of the Salesforce report API, mm-hmm. which was like essentially this pivot. It was like a pivoted matrix report. Yeah, and relational database systems just—they're not really built for that. That whole pivoting thing—they really want you to just to like instead of ha- instead of pivoting things out, they just want you to, you know, basically just group by and then process through the results. And that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. So I do a query. It's like a it's a grouping query, but then I um, I basically loop through the results and kind of build up a 
uh, in like a <clears throat> just in and I think this this is in Java or actually, but I just build up build up a data structure that 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 looks like the report I want because then when that I just send that back to the client as JSON, and it's again it's that JSON response I'm sending back looks like what I wanted Salesforce's report API to look like. Again, maybe that's just my pea brain and that all I can handle, but it worked great. And it and once I got that done, build that in combination with like I was I mean I used just like pretty much the default style table styling and things from Bulma. It mm-hmm. took me like thirty minutes to have like a great looking report. It sounds like you need to build a whole new API framework that sits on top of that that does just that. But and uh, but it's it's <laughs> the, so the query that I wrote. I mean, it's not it's not a metadata driven platform, John. It's it's just hard coded queries for my specific reports, oh, okay. and even the UI. I'm having to build a separate, like a separate component for each report mm-hmm. uh, on, on the client side, like a separate view a separate view component for each report, so it knows because it's not metadata driven. Like it's each like the and I've only built one so far, but like the report that I like the view component I created, like it's it it's hard coded to the JSON response it expects for that one report. Oh, okay, but they're real simple though. I mean, like I can, it's like if I can build one of these. I mean, and, and the next that was the first one. Of course, the next one I do will will be a third of the time. Yeah. So it'll take me literally ten minutes to build another view component that renders one of the other reports. And if that's the case, and they only need six reports, I'm not going to build some metadata driven, super. You know, small batch artisanal, you know, Salesforce analytics API rendering client. <laughs> I would like to know, by the way, if anyone listening uh, has anyone actually written a, a, a client, a, like a metadata driven client that renders just arbitrary output from Salesforce's report API. I'd be curious. I'm sure someone has. I mean, that API exists for a reason. It does exist for a reason. And and whoever, again, I think it's just over my head. I, and honestly, I, I didn't have much time to spend on it. It was was uh, I was kind of like I looked at that output and I started to panic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, eh, this isn't going to work. What's next? <laughs> next option. <laughs> um, and so I didn't. You know, probably could figure it out. I guess I'm assuming. I mean, I don't think it's like data science or anything. It's I'm I'm just consuming. I'm consuming the output of what a bunch of other smart people figured out was probably a good, really flexible data structure for report output that mm-hmm. that I don't know enough about reports to even understand yet. So I'm sure it's like you said to your point. I mean, I'm, if you need something that's really flexible, then you have to have all kinds of abstractions that yeah. take time to understand and learn. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the way it is. But yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to be past that. That ended up taking me just the, the what took me the most time was just evaluating all these different options I had, and and relearning which of them ended up really not being options. That's kept, and that just took time. I mean, yeah, it did. Yeah, it sounds like one of those things that almost kind of blindsides you. You think, oh, I can get data out of Salesforce. I can get data. I can probably get this data report data pretty easily. I know there's an API, and I know there's like this. URL export feature that we've used to use as a hack and yeah because I thought about that there used to be a I think that it probably still exists some URL you can hit and pass in a report ID and it would give you CSV yeah because it was it was like a post call or something that was used by the UI to generate like an export right I don't know I, I actually I don't because it was so first of all it was never documented that, that I'm aware of no but I think I think Salesforce put it out there because it solved problems they had. Probably they're like their PS group, or maybe maybe they had customers like, "Hey, we got to have some." Because this is before the Analytics API. 
No, I think it was just like a, a normal mechanism. I mean, it's been that there for we, it's been there for like ten found years. and started using it. Just like maybe so. Euro, just like the yeah. Euro hacks we were doing with the section headers on edits on uh, page layouts and things like that. that they close the loop on. No, I think this was. I disagree with that. Actually, I think this was put out there for you to to be able to get the CSV output of a report. Even being able to pass like default values to a page wasn't intentional. It was, yes, it is. That is intentional. No, it wasn't. Yes, it is. You have to do work to make that happen. There's that is not an auto magic thing that any web framework has. Salesforce built that to do that. I mean, it was it wasn't a documented feature that said, "Oh, here's wasn't how you do that." No, because they didn't they didn't want right because they didn't want that to be a contract right. that they had to they had to keep right. it. They want the flexibility to be able to change that over time or whatever. It was meant for them to use, not for us to use. But we Pretty found much. it and we used Pretty it. Much. Like and I you said, had I think to. this was one of those features. Oh yeah, even I mean, there are so many managed <laughs> packages that sail right. Well, I won't say sail, but they got through security, no problems, that use all kinds of URL hacks because you have to use them. Any non-trivial org has to use URL hacks. Or I'm, I know I'm talking, this is old school now, like yeah. Lightning changes all this. Um, but every every managed package had to, had to use them um, that, if, uh, that was of any consequence. So, but you just, it's like, it's like you just, uh, you know, beg for forgiveness, right? Don't ask for permission. Just use it and, and everyone just, you know, turn, turns a blind eye. I'm going to keep using as many metaphors as I can. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's been fun, though. I also wanted to say um, this today I ran across this. What was I doing? So, I'm, <clears throat> I've got this, uh, it's a Java app and it's, it's Spring Boot. You know what Spring Boot is? No. So, you know the Spring Framework. You've heard of Spring yeah. Framework, right? So, it's a Java. It's basically, it's kind of like an alternative to, like, I guess the, the official Sun or not Sun. Wow showing my age oracle oracle java like enterprise java stack <clears throat> it's funny like i don't think i haven't done enterprise java any like i think i did ejb's back in what well, i don't know what the version was 2.0 or something um 15 years ago maybe something like that and it, ever since i learned spring like there was like no turning back and even though enterprise java's gotten way better i think uh, mainly because they've learned from a lot of what spring has done they've learned from what hibernate has done and all these other projects and they made it a lot better, but God, I mean, just, I don't know why anyone would go back. I mean, I don't know. I guess there's probably reasons, but for me, Spring is great. But one thing with Spring, even though you can do, like, uh, one thing I got criticized for is the way that you configure Spring is with all this XML stuff. So you got to write all this XML to configure Spring. And then, you know, several years ago, they came out with what they called Java Config. And that's when you basically can provide, like, a, uh, a class. Uh, and there's, Spring provides now all these I guess like flu- like fluent APIs or whatever, mm-hmm. and so you can configure your your whole thing in in Java code, which is nice because j- writing Java is way better than writing XML, and it's and it's it's also statically you know type checked, so you can't you know if you if you t- spell a method name wrong or something like that, you're going to find out immediately. And and with the XML, I mean they provided they provided you know schema so that if you and if you have a decent ID, it's going to tell you that you've done something wrong mm-hmm. against the schema or whatever. But still, I mean that's Java's way better than the next one. So they had they had the Java config and that that made Spring a lot better, solved or you know, relieved a lot of common complaints. But still putting together like all the gluing that you had to do to, you know, your transaction management connections and all these resolvers and there's just message providers and property providers. There's all these things that you have to glue together to to build a typical enterprise app. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to, you know, an app like that. And uh, what Spring Boot does kind of interesting is it basically provides defaults for all kinds of stuff so you can just you can basically just by specifying like uh, via maven or Gradle like what your what your 
de- what your de- dependencies are. So you can say, hey, I, I, depending on um, the you know the Postgres database, JDBC driver, and Hibernate, and and like you can say web starter. Like the uh, there's like all these little starter. They call them starters. They that's uh, that's almost a uh, like a diminutive or like a derogatory term. They're they're just they're not starters. Like oh, you need to replace these if you want it to be a real app. It's just I don't know. That's what they call them, but. Hmm. But it will wire all the stuff. It's like all based on just. It's kind of like the Rails philosophy of um, was it convention over configuration? So it's like just it wires all the stuff up for you. And then what you can do is, if there's certain parts of it you want to customize, then you can implement like a like if you want to like say on Spring Security for example, if you if you want to customize things, which you usually do, you implement like there's like an HTTP security. Uh, it's like I don't know. It's like a configurer. Right, mm-hmm. and there's like a web app initializer configure or something like that, and it basically just passes you into your method like a thing, and you can just call methods on to like change the defaults if you want to change okay. the defaults. So it's anyway, it's just it's a way to like, and supposedly they they created Spring Boot with the idea that, you know, now supposedly people are building all these microservices, which I still don't, I don't build microservices. I don't have a big enough problem that requires microservices. Is is my problem? I think people have too big of a problem that are using microservices. It could be, um, <laughs> but. You know, the problem is like if you let's, I mean, well, I guess, I guess I, by describing the solution, it kind of, I don't know, I guess you could, you can back into the problem, but you can with Spring Boot, you can with just like a, you know, a simple, a simple Maven build and, and a couple lines of code, you can have a, an, an app up and running that's connected to the database and it's got, you know, timely for whatever your favorite templating language and it's got, you know, it's got everything all just wired up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And there's this guy, Josh Long, I think is his name. He's been the, the Spring, like main Spring developer advocate, Spring Boot developer advocate for, for yeah, it seems like forever now. But he's, you know, you can watch any of his demos on YouTube or whatever. He's always, you know, he's, it's just, you look at it and you're like, wow, that is actually is really impressive. Um, but today I, um, this application I'm building, a Java app, it's, it's, it's been, um, it's all, a, it's all just basically, basically an API. Now there's, it's split into, Sub, it's it's a multi module project. So there's like there's a there's a data module. There's a you know at the top level there's like a, a web slash kind of API module. There's a oh, I'm trying to think what else there is. I don't know, but um, it's just it's just been an API server that you know and also and all the application logics built into it. Security's built into it because it's an API I'm exposing. This exposed on the on the web, so mm-hmm. security's all built into that and everything. But today was the first time I I had a need to actually return HTML. And so I thought, okay, this is interesting. Um, so the first thing I did was enable Timely, which is really easy. It really easy. It's just it's a nice kind of like Java web template, web templates, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And uh, that that was really easy. Um, but then I realized I was like, oh, I want to. I need to. I was, I was building this thing, and I was like, okay, I need. I need. I started to do some CSS, and I was like, I actually would like to pull Bulma into this. I'm like, wait a minute, how do I, how the hell do I do that? I mean, I know how to do it in a in a just a front end app. Like mm-hmm. when you when you're running like Gulp or um, what's the what's the one that we all use now? Um, oh gosh, see this is why I shouldn't drink beer on the show. What's the one that take over for that, that basically is everyone's uses now? Um, web, uh, web Webpack, yeah, Webpack. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I know, I know how to do it on the front end when you get like a JavaScript build process. I mean, mm-hmm. that that seems to be a solved problem. Although it's nothing in JavaScript world to solve problem because it. We just and we keep reinventing and solving the problems of the new things all the time. <laughs> but I was like, okay, this is a Java project. I wonder. I, I need a I'd like a convenient way to do this. And then I remembered um, there's this thing called web jars, 
which I believe James Ward created. Um, do you know James? He's in the he works. He's worked for Salesforce mm-hmm. for a while. And I started out on the Heroku side. Now he does. Um, open, I think he's in charge of Salesforce's like open source initiatives or something like that. I haven't really talked to him in depth much about it, but um, I think he's done that for a year or two now. But uh, he uh, he created this web jars project years ago. And it basically takes like all these things that you would use in your front end project. So Bootstrap, Bulma, like uh, D3, all this stuff. And it, and it, they package them as jar files. So like if you have a Java project. Mm-hmm. And then all I had to do was, I don't have my project up right now, I would look, but I'd, um, I just d- declared with one line again, a dependency on this particular, um, on 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 the Bulma web jar actually, and Spring Spring actually has and, and Spring Boot wires it up automatically. Spring has built in support for web jars, so all I did was add this one line, and immediately I can. Once my when, when the server's running, mm-hmm. um, you can do you can do slash web jar slash Bulma, and then you're in everything that came with Bulma. So you can slash CSS slash JavaScript whatever was in Bulma. And it also actually automatically takes care of um, it. It strips the version out. So normally you'd have to do like you know whatever slash slash Bulma slash one point two three slash whatever. Mm-hmm. And it even make it even handles. You don't have to. You don't put that version in. You take you leave the version part out, and it will always make sure that you, it gets you to where it needs to go. So, so that's a, that's a combination of like. So in say once you're in it, are you saying you're actually coding against that? Term? No, I mean I mean like once you like say you are you yeah, just creating yeah. a reference to that library. No, no. So when the when the thing is running, when you when you hit the play button in mm-hmm. IntelliJ, right, and your the thing's running, you can you can go to like a localhost colon eighty eighty slash webjars slash okay Bulma slash you know main CSS or whatever, and that's how you reference them from from all your HTML as well. Okay, it just makes it all available. So this is a combination of like Spring Boot automatically configuring Spring for its support of webjars, which was awesome. And then also IntelliJ, I guess, has built-in support for web jars because I immediately got IntelliSense on all the stuff that was in Bulma through the web jar thing. Oh, nice! I know. So yeah. it was just like, wow. There's like, I mean, this is again. I'm I'm really enjoying doing all this non-Salesforce work because stuff is just stuff just works. I, I'm I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm just back to I'm back to using really good tooling. Yeah, and just really well-engineered stuff. I'm not. I'm I'm having to touch enterprise software, but I'm not having to work in enterprise software. Seems like a nice place to be sometimes. Well, I mean that's where I think people like to be. Yeah, I mean a lot of us work in enterprise software because the money's good, mm-hmm. not because the technology is great. It's not a bad way. I mean, to I, I dealt with. I was helping someone. Uh, someone was just doing a simple. This is someone you know, <laughs> simple web to lead form, and they were specifying the record type ID. And and you can even like you know how Salesforce will generate the basic mm-hmm. web delete code like it even it'll even I think there's an option like you can check record type and it even puts the field in there and it just it was but it was not when when you fill out the form it would not set the record type right. Why wouldn't that's usually like a hidden field in the post message? It is a hidden yeah it's a yeah it's a hidden input yeah it just was not it was coming in the wrong it was coming in as the wrong record type it was like it was not ignoring that field mm. and I so I was looking at the code and I really couldn't figure much much out but I thought. I noticed that they were using the 18-character ID for the record type, and I thought, chop off mm-hmm. those last three characters, let's see what happens. That fixed it. Wow. Because the freaking web delayed, crusty-ass 1974, whenever that thing was created, it cannot handle an 18-character record type ID. 
Wow. Yep. <laughs> I thought they plugged all I'm those holes, like, but no. Nope. There's a million things like that that is just like, <laughs> man, this is what makes enterprise software enterprise software. It's just there's just so many, so much broken stuff. Sometimes it's the user that does the developer that does something dumb, though. Could be. <laughs> and and I, I'm not picking on Salesforce. Like they're all like this. And Salesforce is the best one of the bunch. I'm sure. I mean, I've seen other systems. I'm like, oh wow, I thought I thought I had it bad. This sucks. <laughs> well, the grass is always greener, right? Oh, it always is. But I'm yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this work I've been doing. I mean, I kind of feel bad because I still don't know Lightning, and I had to pop into IntelliJ the other day or to uh, Illuminated Cloud and do some Apex stuff. And immediately, like I'm hitting like. Uh, I'm just in this org where it takes, you know, 15 seconds to save anything. And like, I, I came across two or three bugs that I found that there were ideas, basically ideas. Hey, mm-hmm. here's an idea. Fix this bug. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's so sad that we have to go log an idea in order to, <laughs> to, to get people to fix bugs. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, and I was just like, oh, and I got that done quickly. And then I got out of there and I'm back to, back to Java, Kotlin, all this nice stuff. Well, don't get me started on my lightning stuff yet. Still want to get to these well, community I'm, topics. I've been first. talking about Java too long for a Salesforce podcast, so maybe we yeah. shouldn't get to that. All right, let's talk to let's let's do some. Well, this one's not even Salesforce related either, so let's get this one out of the way. And you have to promise not to go long winded on it because I know you can. <laughs> me? Yes. No. Uh, so this one's going to be anonymous, but this is a community question. Uh, it's uh, this person asks, uh, looking to make the switch from ninety percent W two and ten percent ten ninety nine. To 100% as a sole earner in my family. I've been there. Uh, health insurance is the biggest scary party, part, it says party, but part for me right now. Uh, how do you make this part not suck? Any tips for not going broke? What, does this, do we know where this person lives? Somewhere in the United States? Uh, we don't. Do you think they're from here? I think somewhere in the United States, okay. sure. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that, that is a, a challenge. Um, and Because if you... If you go, if you're to get a, you know, an ACA compliant individual plan, they have a family? They have a family, right? It says uh, okay. salt learner of a family, yeah. Yeah, so you're looking at, you know, anywhere from 1000 to $1,500 a month, right? Yeah. Or more, possibly. The, yeah, on, it depends on yeah. the plan you get and all that <clears> kind of stuff. So that's a, that's expensive, but, you know, so <sighs> you're, you're looking at, I mean, you know, 1200 to 2000 sorry, no, twelve twelve to $20,000 a year. But you do make more money as a contractor or as a consultant, or you should. Or you should. You should be if you're doing it right. I mean, you should be. You should really look at 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 billing. You know, if you're billing twenty to thirty hours a week, and I know that sounds low to people, but if you're if you're actually doing forty hours of billable work a week, you are you're riding yourself hard. Because there's a lot of other stuff people don't realize, and even even in your work as as W two employees, you don't. I mean, there's a lot of little just crap you have to do that, like because some actually some W two people, a lot of companies make everyone log time every day mm-hmm. on what they worked on, so they can account to projects and all kinds right. of BS like that. That's and at the end of the day, it's like it's sometimes it's hard. It's like, wow, well, man, I had to like go meet with this guy to help him, and then I had to we had this other whatever. There's just there's stuff you have to do that's like not value added stuff that wouldn't be. In a in a consultant or a contracting situation, it wouldn't be billable to the client. But there's the stuff you have to do. I mean, you're you're also running a business, so you're probably doing estimates for people. You're you're um, 
going to conferences, you're blogging, you're cold calling. I mean, I don't know who knows what you're doing. You know, you're doing stuff that to run your business. You're yeah. you're talking to your lawyer, you're talking to your accountant, you're doing bookkeeping. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you have to do. So if you're if you think you're going to do forty bill about bill hours, like I mean, maybe you maybe you can. I'm just saying that you know there's going to be at least another ten hours a week on top of that that you're just you're just going to lose. That it's going to be work at the very least. Yeah. And then it's also, I mean, at least for me, it's it's been a feast or famine business. So I mean, you you end up well, it is. So you have to be you have to be good with money. You need. I know they didn't ask this. We're like way beyond the scope of their question. Well, no, it's it's, it's, it's all related. Like I know it's all just for not going broke. Yeah, you I mean you don't have to be able to to save money because there are peaks and valleys, and when you know when there's a rainy day, you've got to be able to get through it. And you um, have to be able to pay for that insurance bill. But when you look at how much money you can make, I mean, you can, as a contractor, you could probably make approximately one and a half to two times, you know, the gross money you'd make compared to like a salary at your company. Of course, at at the company, you get your salary, but on top of that, they're paying for your vacations. They're paying for your insurance. They're paying for you, I mean, depending on what kind of benefits you get, how, but, but at minimum, they're paying for your vacation time whatever vacation time you get, and they're paying for your your health insurance. Probably paying for some life insurance in there. A lot of companies do. And depending on how good their policies are, again, again on going to conferences or whatever, they could be paying for other stuff too. So you have to kind of account for that. But but even even at that, you still should, as a, as a if you're doing it right as a consultant, you're going to make quite a bit more money than that if, you, if you're able to stay busy. And so that kind of justifies. I mean, yeah, it's, it's $15,000 a year for health insurance, but you're making like $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 a year more, if not more than that. I mean, if you really do it right, I mean, I mean, a good consultant can, you know, you can do, you know, far into, into six figures. I mean, I mean, there are guys, if you're doing it right, you know, they're making, you know, 300,000, north of $300,000. It can be done um, without killing yourself. If you do it right. that. <laughs> well, and also depends on. It, I mean, it really depends, depends on, on your kind of rate work. and what kind of work right. you're able to get, and you know how you, how good you, you are at selling yourself. If or you getting have a clients. rate, <laughs> um, also it gets harder to scale. I mean, as as projects compound, at least with a company and you're working with a team, you have places to offload things. Or I'm too busy for that. This project came around. I thought I was gonna be able to do it. I can't do it. Let me offload that. But when you're independent, you end up just trying to take it all and do it all, and, uh, and your time doesn't scale. Your income to to the time you have to do work just doesn't scale unless you start employing and adding people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, again, it's $15,000 a year, but you should be making a lot more money than you were making before. And if you don't think you can or you will, then maybe you shouldn't, maybe it's not the time yet to um, to go off on your own. Yeah. Also, they, uh, the, I think it's, I don't know if it's Health and Human Services or if this is an exec- presidential executive order or what, but they've, they've legalized Basically, twelve month. Um, what are they called? Uh, major medical policies again? Mm, yeah. Now they haven't. At least in Texas, I haven't seen any offered yet. But that can be a good option depending on your situation. Yeah. It's you know you can for probably a third of the price. If you don't have a lot of pre existing conditions, you're basically you're, everyone's healthy right now. Um, then a major medical policy, short term major medical policy, might be a good idea, especially if you can get them for a year. Which I think you will be able to soon again because they're not illegal anymore. All right, all right. So question number two. Um, this one, this one's going to be tough because I only have some cursory knowledge of this, and it's only because it's in everyone's faces right now. Are we allowed to use names? Let's see. 
Oh, feel free to use my name. So this one's from Dr. Nick. Okay. Uh, and this is more of just a request for discussion. It's just a topic. It's not really a question, but uh, uh, GDPR. And if you're doing anything about it, it's probably one of them. Um, he says there's a lot of weirdness in there. All websites, if they use cookies, may be accessed by someone in Europe who require a pop-up or pop opt-out. Um, pseudo abstraction of private data, data breaching report. I mean, so basically GDPR is, GDPR is everywhere right now. Everyone's having to, at some point, someone's having to do something about it, whether they have a website they run that's tracking cookies or they're, they have some, a login information for someone who's in the, what is it, the European Union? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually behind on this. I really, I mean, I've, you know, you can't not know about it. <laughs> yeah. So I, under, I understand the basics of it, but. I haven't, I mean, so I've actually, for the past while now, I've been working with clients that are really exclusively kind of domestic um, and they're relatively small, so it hasn't been an issue, but it's pretty much, I mean, everyone, everyone needs to understand, it's one of the things everyone needs to understand, I think, um, but I'm, I'm kind of behind. So I'm not doing a lot with it and I, I, get the, I think the clients I'm working with right now are not that concerned with it. I think probably it's more enterprise companies that have global, that are actively doing business in those countries um, because I think they're more likely to be litigated against and have to pay those fines that, that come along with it. I yeah. think if you're just like mom and pop and you have a website that has cookies enabled or, or you know has a user account, but you're based in the United States, I'm not so sure there's anything they can do to you. Yeah, I'm not and I think that's that. some of the questions about GDPR as well. It's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm a U.S. company and I don't do anything. I don't, I don't actively have business there. I guess if you're shipping and you have user accounts and things like that, maybe that qualifies. I see this is a topic I know nothing about, so I'm just kind of. And I don't, like I said, I, I basically don't either. I mean, I'm definitely not an expert. This is also one of those things. This is a legal thing, and I'm not a lawyer, so yeah. I don't. In, in the, you can actually get yourself into trouble, especially as a as a consultant, as kind of pretending to be a lawyer. Like, oh, let me help you with your privacy policy, and let me help you with your no. I'm sorry, like you come up with that privacy policy. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, one of the comments he makes is it's literally impossible to read anything about it without being offered a cert certificate in GDPR, a software consultant needed to assess your compliance or a personal masseuse GDPR specialist. Uh, so Listen, yeah, the, the, the sharks are out. Yeah, they're, out, they're gunning for you. By the way, and I, I don't want to pause for this, I'll just make this quick, but this is why I hear background noise on my mic. My, my fans are on at least 50% right now. Oh, it's because you're recording us. Yeah, I know. Auditions at like 120% of ACPU. Time to upgrade the Mac? <laughs> downgrade. I want to downgrade my Mac. <laughs> we need to get out of these really super thin laptops so it has some airflow. I know. I need to get one of those, uh, some big chunky Dell or something. <laughs> one of those big Alienware ones that are like <laughs> 10 inches thick. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Yeah, yeah I don't well, know. Well, yeah. sorry, Dr. Nick. Yeah. We, we really yeah. don't have much on that. Um, <laughs> we suck. Um, Although, um, ask uh, Stefan Garcia if you if you want some tips or have whatever, because I know he he's done a lot of. I won't go into what because I don't really understand that much, but he's done a lot of GDPR work. And he lives in the UK. Well, Benny, I've been advocating for something similar here. If you notice the some of the stuff he's been saying, advocating for more privacy laws and things like that, uh, it's been on a few of the kind of tidbits about him. He's been in the news a lot lately. Because he's a bootlegger. So Salesforce Tower, I guess, officially opened. He got to do the ribbon cutting this week. Yeah. Um, I, you know, he, he's on on some list on top 50 leaders. I think it was one of those Forbes lists or something. I don't remember who it was. But that list was kind of lame. It was mixed with a lot of weird, different people. Like, you could tell it was very, like, agenda-driven top leaders. Yeah. 
So I wasn't all that interested. Um, Combination of virtue signaling and flattery. Yeah, kind of. Try, trying to flatter yeah. the right people. Um, he, he's still getting a lot of mileage out of the gender equality thing. That's that's still making new news. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, he... He's <laughs> doing his thing. That's yeah. his... There, there was one article kind of talking about the pay, his pay, because I guess... I guess some of the numbers were recently released and talking about some of the payment of the employees and things like that, the median pay and all that kind of stuff. But I think Salesforce... Nothing really surprising there. It's I think just, they're going to be reporting their... Let's see, their February, April, March. Aren't they reporting... Or maybe they're not. I don't, could be confused. I thought they had some kind of earnings coming out soon. Maybe. Maybe that's why I'm seeing all these different articles, but yeah. Could be. Let's see. Yeah, I don't think I have... Much else? Uh, News Corp. There's not just this is kind of a news thing I saw. This is like probably a week ago. News Corp calls for algorithm review board to monitor for potential abuse. Abuse. This is, what? This is another bootleggers and Baptists. It's a news company calling for news companies to be regulated. A news company calling for well, that's happening everywhere. We have tech. We have tech people advocating for. Tech regulation, it, and it's and almost, we have news it's almost all, for news it's almost all bootleggers and Baptists because after you, once you surpass bootleggers and Baptists, then you go to regulatory capture, which is a whole other thing. It's basically when the regulators are become, they, they end up serving the industries they're supposed to be regulating. Mm. It's a thing. Look it up. <laughs> I did see this article recently that, um, because we, we talked about blockchain a while ago, and I, I was like, I really have no idea what to use blockchain for. Uh, but there was this article, uh, forgive me, it is a Forbes article. Um, but they did like this 30 real examples of blockchain technology in practice, which a lot of it is is more geared towards Any products. monkey with, with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write for <laughs> Forbes. A lot of it's geared towards, you know, certain products that are doing certain things. But I kind of picked it apart and picked out a few gems of ways they're using it in certain industries. Um Probably the most obvious one is financial services, so trading, banking, funds, transfers, um, that kind of thing. Uh, one I thought was interesting: service and warranty information for products, like maybe a you know not centrally owned way of of tracking the history of a car, or a vehicle, or products that get sold and resold. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good idea. Uh, payment systems, obviously, that falls in shine. Uh, supply chain management. I didn't think about that one, but that could be some good uses for it. Especially when you're talking about consignment goods and things well, like that, and um, I haven't okay. So I would say I haven't done anything with blockchain other than buy some things from some some shady websites. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm talking. I'm not talking about cryptocurrency. I'm talking about just the, the blockchain right, te- as right, a technology, right. as a ledger, as a uncorruptible ledger. But the way I think of it, I think of it as the kind of uh, <laughs> I draw an analogy to the way like distributed version control systems work, like Git. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, every commit, basically everything is a cryptically graphic, cryptic, crypt, oh my gosh. Cryptographically? Cryptographically signed. Think. A thing, right? So it, mm-hmm. it's theoretically, at least with modern computing, is is impossible to be, it, its integrity is known and like unhackable essentially. And there's no reason that you couldn't, I mean, uh, well, let me say this. You can think of a lot of ways in which it makes sense to have a, distributable source of truth. Mm-hmm. Like everyone can have copies of it. Everyone can add truths onto it that are unhackable. And we just keep, we just have to keep syncing these things up. You know, I don't know, that's how, I don't know how that works, but they basically, yeah. you know, just keeps adding to the chain. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, 
you know, it seems like there was there would be a lot of uses for that. It does, but at the time when when we were when I was first learning battered, even just learning trying to trying to understand it, I I couldn't really see that. I couldn't see. Jesus, you're spilling everywhere. Wait, what is, I don't understand this. I don't know. I poured it just fine, and you, I didn't have that issue. That's because I'd already poured half out of the can. Well, maybe you're pouring it's too when fast. Full. No, it's when they're full. That's what I'm saying. Oh, you're no, pouring no. too fast. No, if you pour if you pour slow, you're really screwed. You have to pour fast. Oh. In fact, I didn't pour. I should have just like literally almost dumped this upside down. <laughs> this is a 32 ounce. So, anyways, uh, so real estate, medical. Um, so th- those are the different areas that I that piqued my interest in and. I kind of got it after seeing that list. I was like, okay, now I'm starting to see how this can be applied, where there might be some potential RRI and actually implementing that type of ledger system. Jeremy's feeling my beer right now. No, not th- not that much. It's only half. It's no, I, that's not half. That's oh, would you quit it? Jesus, I'm trying to cut back. And turn in your man card. That's fine. I still have your Mexican card. You're not getting that one back. <laughs> Do you learn how to speak some Spanish and start eating onions? <laughs> I, I eat onions it's in certain situations. Yeah. I am weird about it, though. Yeah. Like pico, I can eat onions on fresh pico. But I can't if it's like either been sitting there for too long or... <laughs> Um, well, that's if, with if, anything. If, they, if you try Almost. to cook onions, but you don't cook them all the way, and they still got that that crunchy texture, I can't stand it. It's gross to me. But they can be super crunchy and pico de gallo. Yes, which is weird. I can. No, and I will make it's it that weird. way, and it's, I will make it that fine. way and yeah. eat it. But right. I, it's like once you try to warm them up and they're still crunchy, it's like oh, it's gross to me. Mm. That's like, what it is. Crunchy warm onions are gross to me. I mean, I like, that's what it is. I like onions of almost all forms. They have to. They, they, they you got to caramelize them into paste, and then them good. Yeah. I do make a killer onion dip, which I take two giant like yellow sweet onions and caramelize them down to like a little blob of goop about that big. And it's just so caramelized and delicious. And then you, and that gets mixed into like all kinds of like whatever, into a dip. You, you know? skipped lunch, didn't you? I did skip. I know, I'm like starving. <laughs> I, could, I, could eat, I could see in your I eyes. You're talking about, this, mug right you're now. talking about this onion dip and I can see you <clears> drooling <throat> and salivating. Isn't that sad? I, I just don't eat. I just, I skip lunch. 80% of days, at least. You got a big thing of peanuts over there. I know. I actually got a handful earlier. That's like, that was my lunch. Anyway. Well, I mean, the last thing I have is just some things I've been working on lately. Um, just different woes and trials and tribulations of... Tri- tribulations or tribulations? Tribulations. Tribulations. Yeah. Of working with lightning. Okay. Well, let's hear about that, because I always like to learn more about lightning. I like to learn more about why I don't want to do lightning. <laughs> no, it's awesome. You need to use it. On everything. Mm. Just spread it like butter yeah, yeah. everywhere. Yep. Yeah. It's just amazing that the outside the Salesforce world, that the whole, you know, um, I don't know, web app community hasn't adopted, uh, what's it called? Aura or whatever, They're the open source thing that requires like a Java servlet in order to do mm-hmm. anything with it. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why it didn't take off. <laughs> well, that stupid Aura framework bug that prevents you from returning an object that contains arrays is, is pissing me off still. You're you're forced to serialize and deserialize manually, which which might be fine. I mean, I've heard people say you should just serialize your your own stuff anyways and just pass it back as a string and deserialize it on the other end, which it's probably not not a bad thing to do anyways. But mm. it kind of sucks when you when like I built something, I was returning an array of objects, and then I realized well I need more data so I so I'm not having to make so many calls back to my Apex controllers. 
And so I wrap that in, a, in a, another class and it's now it's got a property of, what are you doing? I'm just not liking this beer. I'm not either. <laughs> so our first one was um, from Nola. I picked that one. You picked this one. Yeah. I Although I was thinking about this one too. So Nola in there in, uh, there in New Orleans. Yeah. And it was, um, oh, Hurricane Saison. Yeah. Right. Playing hurricane season, I guess. <laughs> yes. Oh, I didn't think <laughs> about that. Yeah. No. Good one. And then this one is from Coop in Oklahoma, which, you know, is, I would say, a pretty good brewery, I think. But I think this is supposed to be a New England IPA, and it just, you know, who knows? I mean, this has been in distribution for six months, because that style beer, New England IPA, it just doesn't last. Mm. I mean, once it's, like, keg and ready to drink, like, you've got, like, maybe four weeks, depending on, also depends on how good the brewery did at keeping oxygen out. If they've got any dissolved oxygen, then that's going to be a killer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, not a fan of this one. The Coop. They make good beers. They make, I mean, there's other beers I've had that are great. Mm. And Chase oh. Healy got his start at Coop, I think. He's, he used to be a brewer at Coop. <clears throat> then he started Prairie and killed it at Prairie, then sold Prairie, and now runs American Solera, and, all in Oklahoma. Mm. And it's renewed by annual, I mean, the, it's called the Ass, people call it the Ass Club. It's the American Solera Society. <laughs> Do they have shirts and everything? They do, actually. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff you can get. Oh, we need to come up with a new name that has ass in the word. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's our goal? That's our goal. That's a, we'll, that's we'll start a, a new noble podcast, goal. And, yeah. and our goal is it has to have ass in the name somewhere. Benioff's like trying to figure out how to raise $200 million for San Francisco's homeless, and we're just trying to figure out how to get ass in our name. <laughs> well, he's doing it. Salesforce, what, Salesforce's vent, or charity's donating $1.5, and then he's matching that. So that's, that's what, $3, three million right there. $1.5 million? I think so. Doesn't he make that in like an hour and a half? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, but I heard like Cisco was like donating like 50 million over the course of a number of years as well to the homeless problem. I'm just like, where's all this money going? It's, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to be getting better. It's a bottomless pit is the problem. Jeez, and, I mean, until you 50 actually, million, you could build every single one of them a no, house. The, so the problem is, is you, these tech companies are creating a lot of these problems mm-hmm. and it helps their guilty conscience to throw some money at it. Oh, here you go. I made this in an hour and a half. Here you go. <laughs> Don't I look good now? Well, back to lightning. Darn it. Um, so, so one thing I'm cutting my teeth on is is nested components. So traditionally, I've had child components, but they were nothing more than shells. They were, they were kind of they had a controller, but the controller was really just to interact with the class itself. It wasn't trying to pull additional data from the Apex controller or anything like that. It wasn't it wasn't really complicated in that aspect. Uh, but with with some recent components I've been building, it did get that complicated where there were nested components of various layouts and in, in other components that I was building. So there are these composite components built up of these smaller components, but these smaller components were responsible for their own data. And what was happening is I was losing context within the chain. This goes back to Matt Lacey's talk at the extracurricular. Yeah, but he wasn't talking about lightning. He was talking about other stuff. But it... it- <laughs> It applies though. It does, and and it's that it, state problem, especially. It, it is a state problem the because way we, why is it the way we build like single page apps? You know, in in browser apps, whatever these are called now, is it still called single page app? I think so. Yeah, but we, you know what I'm talking about, right? SPA. Yeah, gotta have the spa. cool acronym, the spa. The spa. Why do we? Why is those? Why are they so different than? Maybe they're not that different actually, but this, you know, the the um the flux pattern is it the flux pattern that. Uh, so in, in in view they have uh, Vuex Vuex mm-hmm. um, which is also the 
flux pattern. So what's what's React called? What's their um, their data state thing called? Redux. Yeah. Redux. Redux. Yeah. And it's based on the flux. And I believe flux came out of. Um, oh gosh, uh, where did flux come from? I can't remember, but I think React with with their implementation of it called Redux. Uh, that's what kind of put it on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where did flux come from? It was. Um, I want to say Erlang, but I know that's not right. Anyway, regardless. Regardless. So one of the issues I was having is um, initialization of the, of the components because what was happening is even though there were nested components, in my head I'm thinking, okay, the parent component loads and then the child component loads, but that's not what was happening. All the, the entire page was getting loaded and all the components, including the child components, are getting loaded. So all of their initializers are running at the same time. It's not a, it's not a serialization it's not a serialized operation it's all in parallel. And so because those child components were dependent on parent components for context even though they could technically run independently because they were a child they were dependent on the parent for context. And so I was having all these weird issues with things initializing or or initializing and then reinitializing depending on how it was structured in the component. Um so it took me a while to kind of debug that and figure it out and one of my issues was that normally the the lightning inspector helps me and I could see the issue. I can see, oh, I, I sent a, a null ID to my Apex controller, or this message was not right, or it fired at the wrong time. But it seemed like when it was a nested component, it wasn't showing up in the Lightning Inspector. It would only show up my top level. Or maybe it was the fact that I was in a community, and maybe that's what was causing it. But either way, I just wasn't getting yeah, the messages. Community, a whole another whole other set of um, Yeah, this was all for community, by the way. Yeah. This was all running a community, so I had that kind of can of worms as well. Yep. Um, but I found that, so there was a few tricks I learned from digging around online. One of them was just to not render the component until your parent component is rendered. So you'd either have some kind of flag or something. And so after that initializes, you set your flag and say, I'm initialized. You can tell that it can then render your child component and then it could pass the context that it needs from that. Um, another thing was just to keep it completely independent. It could still derive context from the main page if it, if it could, like say a record page. It could still get context from that and be independent of the parent if that makes sense. Um, and so I used a combination of those two techniques. Um, one, one area where it didn't affect me, and that was, I realized this because my, it was a, a list of child components, so it was in its, inside of an iteration. And because that iteration never ran, when it did run, it seemed like everything worked fine, which it did, because it technically wasn't rendering. So I also learned another technique, which was just don't render that component until you're ready, then render it, or add it into the markup manually, mm. which I was not a fan of. I didn't want a bunch of JavaScript code creating dynamic components. Like, yeah. I, I know that's a solution to a lot of the problems out there, like creating modals and all that kind of stuff, but that just seems so heavy-handed to put all of my markup, or it's not really markup, but put all of the component creation in JavaScript the to, to generate right. it. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather have it on the, in, the, in the component itself. Yeah. <clears throat> did you um, figure out what your talks, uh, I know you know, what, did you ever talk about what your talks at uh, Texas Dreaming are? You know, I've I've been working. That was another thing I'm kind of behind on. I've been I've had my outline set up, and I'm now I'm going to start working on the presentation part of it. Um, one of them is very heavy uh, presentation heavy, which is the the um, Lightning Design System and uh, accessibility. And what do you mean by presentation heavy? Slides, a lot of slides, or what? What is presentation heavy? Mean? Yeah, main, mainly slides. I mean, that one's going to be more kind of fact based. It's going to be there's going to be a few stories within that that I'll that I'll tell, and then I'll kind of go into some you of know, the areas use where alternative facts or. It's all fake news. 
My facts are the, are the true facts. That's, that's just what I say that. too. So. <laughs> Um, so I'll have some things on that. Uh, the other one is the the modular code stuff, and that one I'm going to have a lot of code examples and some stuff written for that. And I'll, I'll be spanning Apex and JavaScript and Lightning components and all those kind of things. So all these leading technologies, it's all old stuff. <laughs> it's all old basic stuff that we all learn and relearn every day. Well, what else, John? Um, Hmm. Well, there was an article, Business Insider, that compared Benioff's salary to the median like Salesforce employee salary. Yeah, that's the one I saw. Yeah, I, and I, I really, said, there's really it was like kind of a nothing burger. I I, I agree. I, honestly, I mean, I know, I know, I, I mean, I I give Benioff a hard time, and I think he deserves it. He's not immune from criticism, but I mean, uh, that's up for shareholders to, you know, I mean, he's built a probably what is now a 12 to 15 billion dollar a year company that's worth 80 or 100 million dollars whatever their market cap is right now billion billion sorry billion yeah um i don't know he should probably make a lot of money yeah. um and you know the whole I, uh, wage wage gap i guess you know that the societal the problem we have where you've got these the billionaires that keep getting more billionaire and us poor folk who just keep like struggling, like we're like I mean again what Benioff talks about. Are you trying about, to say the rich get no, richer no, no. and the it's poor like, get poorer? It's like you know the the, the us people who Benioff <laughs> talks about with the when the fourth industrial revolution is going to come and take all these jobs, but Daddy Benioff's going to help us keep these little jobs so we can just we can keep getting by, and he's going to put out Trailhead and all this other stuff so that so that the whole world can become Salesforce you know consultants or admins or whatever. But you have basically you 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 know the question is are we going to this like two. A, a, cl- a two class system, a two tiers, or or two, you know, whatever. Um, you have where you have ultra billionaires, and then you have everyone else. And and the problem with everyone else is everything the billionaires are doing are taking away all of our jobs. That's the, or that's the story. That's the anyway. claim. That's the, yeah. Well, and there's there's no doubt that's happening to some degree. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not going to argue that it's not happening, but I I'd like to think that. Society and, and economics as a whole tends to balance itself out. It, exactly, these, like these it, it swings always has. of extremes happen, right. and then it kind of bounces back, and then we find a happy medium for a while. Right. I mean, when, when we went from you know carriages to cars, I mean, people who made carriages and buggy whips and all this stuff. I mean, they, you know, was it not better for us to go to cars? Yeah. Can you not? You know, or when when we when well, compu- not to Mother Earth. Well, when computers were invented, and and you know, people didn't. Whoever did, like I don't know, kept ledgers and stuff on big ledger paper and all that crap. I mean, is it is it not better that do they not have a better job now? They do. I mean, they it ups productivity for everyone. I mean, we all live a better quality of life because we're all doing more meaningful work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the concern is, though, is like even the knowledge work, the meaningful knowledge work that a lot of people do, even that's now that's on the chopping block. If, if AI actually becomes something that's actually impressive at some point, it's not yet. But I mean, Amazon's still trying to sell me things I bought, you know, six months ago. Yeah. I looked at those shoes six months ago and I bought them. Why are you still trying to sell me them? <laughs> Try to sell me something else that I might buy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's weird because sometimes it's good, but a lot of times it's really bad. <laughs> Most of the time it's really yeah. bad. But yeah. I mean, the rate at which it's getting better is what I think is a little scary. It's getting better. And it's not hard to envision at this point. Well, you saw it. It, um, it was it good. We didn't, that's something we didn't talk about. Like, since we last recorded a podcast, there was Google. Was it I.O.? Was it Google I.O.? Mm-hmm. Um, 
there was Microsoft Build. Mm-hmm. There was something else. I can't remember now. But anyway, just speaking of Google, though, you saw the demo of the thing that made the reservations for someone. Did you see that? No. I oh, say so you've really been a nerd rock. Yeah, I have been. So they, I wish I had it queued up to be able to play it, but they did this demo where the little Google air freshener thing, whatever that's called, the HomePod, and <laughs> that's, that's Google a, Home. A Google Home. Yeah. Uh, you can just say, hey, make reservations for Cantina Laredo at 9.30. And it calls Cantina Laredo. And when the person answers, it's, it, I mean, it, they did this demo live. And it sounds like, and it was a woman's voice, but it sounds like someone making, they're like, yeah, um, I'm trying to make reservations for 9.30. And then the person at Kenton Laredo says, oh, you know what? We only have um, between seven and eight. And the, and the Google thing says, oh, really? Okay, um, let's do seven. It, it, it talks like that. It sound, you cannot tell it's a computer. Hmm. Of course, which is number one, impressive. But number two, really scary and actually brings up all kinds of ethical questions. Like, shouldn't the person have known that they were talking to a computer? I mean, it actually brings up all kinds of questions. And also, the thing I didn't understand is like, this is such a short-term stopgap thing. Like, pretty soon, restaurants are just going to have APIs. They're going to be running some software that Google or someone makes or OpenTable or one of these things makes. It's APIs for all this, and it'll no, be. See, I don't, I don't see it that way. I see, I, I see when when people say things like that, I feel like they're envisioning this this world where everything is connected and everything is 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 a computer and everything is automated. But I, I, I still see examples today of things that have gone full automation and gone full. I mean, look at the beer industry. Since we're talking about beer, I mean, you had like the big Anheuser Bushes of the world. They're just turning out tons of beer and cheap. Uh, to beer. be fair, there's only one of there's only one of those. There's not Anheuser Bushes of the world. There's just there's AB InBev of the world. Who owns Miller? Does, it's AB InBev. Really? Yeah, it's literally ninety percent is all owned by AB InBev. Yeah. Well, they're consuming a lot of the small guys. But I mean, look what happened with the explosion of craft craft beer or whatever you want to call it. Um, all these smaller places and all these handcrafted things and people who really cared about the product were putting stuff out and people were buying it. That's because we have this urge to, because we know that we're being all computerized and we're being we're being all controlled and marketed to and mind effed and all that. But you I mean, know? I mean and look so, at marketing. So, so we want to go to like the little bitty brewery where you pay 10 bucks for a pint and someone manually pours it out of a keg that was manually filled by someone who manually brewed this like small batch of beer. Yeah. Like it just... It scratches some itch we have as humans to do something that actually somewhat resembles what humans do. And see, that's that's where I think I think that's that's where things are going to balance out. Like it's not going to be this extreme where everything's automated and no one's doing anything anymore. I think sure maybe cars will drive themselves, but there'll still be those we- those guys on the weekend that that have the muscle car that wants to drive it and they'll drive it themselves. Oh, those will be illegal pretty soon. No, they're not. Oh, illegal. yes, they will. They won't. Oh, be come on, come on. You're kidding me. You're your three fifty one so, cubic inch, you know, V eight or whatever that gets. 12 miles to the gallon? No, they won't be illegal. No, there, yes, there are a lot will. of cars that, that... Yes, they will. But they might not be street legal. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not trying to make the point. <laughs> All I'm saying is that there's going to be plenty of room for people to do things by hand or by themselves or do the things that they enjoy hands-on. You like to do things by hand by yourself, John? I like to do a lot of hands-on <laughs> things by myself. A lot. Um, sometimes three or four times now. <laughs> uh, but the point I'm trying to make is that, yes... There's this swing towards automation. Yes, there's this swing towards you know AI and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's going to come back. I think they'll the, 
it'll go to an extreme and they'll find a balance. Tesla's a good example of that and their their automation factor where they automated everything. <laughs> and they're about to go out of business. And they're about to <laughs> And so they're having to bring in more people. They're having to balance out their technology they, they, and how much they, they've they, automated with so they, they said they over roboticized the the, yes. the, the, the was it the the Model 3? What's the new one? Yeah, the Model yeah. 3. Yeah. And so I, I just think there's going to be more examples of that where they're going to they're going to reach too far into the future and and they're going to have to find a happy balance between the two. And and everyone, including you and me, are going to have to adjust to that new happy medium, to that new normal. I'm not a, I'm not a subscriber to the end-all cataclysm of everything is automated, everything is controlled, everything is nothing, nobody does anything by hand. I mean, I, I just don't think see it happening that way. And the reason that, the reason that, you know, the, the Benioffs and the Nadellas and the uh, Ellisons of the world have to do this. It's, it's, it's this race to automate and, you know, make intelligent all the things. It's because you, you, it's not because you want to put everyone out of jobs. It's because it, your competitors are doing it. You, you can't, I mean, and again, you don't have to look very far back in history to say you can't stop this. So the best thing to do is be on the leading edge of it. It's I mean, going I'm all for pushing technology. I'm all yeah, for yeah. developing I, new I'm things. Too. Well, I just think that, I, I just think I think people it's don't gonna, understand the technology. They don't understand what they're dealing with. Or well, what I don't they're understand seeing. it. And 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 even even to some extent, marketing is, is over inflating um, <laughs> what that technology. This is, this is, is. a Peter Coffee conversation. He he understands understands all all these things, and he <laughs> he can talk I, about. I, him I, I think it's a mix of, of the public misunderstanding technology and what it really can do at this point in time. Yeah, and I think. Also, marketing is is pushing hard because they're trying to sell you this technology, overselling its capabilities. And oh, so we're in this kind of false narrative area of what AI is and what technology is and how fast it's how fast it's growing that's, and advancing. That's true compared to the reality of it. Yep. But I don't think the the smoke and mirrors is that far ahead of reality. No, I think it's way far ahead. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's anywhere near what anyone thinks it really is. There are a few handful of companies that have demonstrated some really smart systems, but they're very expensive. They require a tremendous amount of compute power that is just not accessible to the everyday person. Which thus means it's not going to take over your home. It's not going to take over anything just yet. I, I listened to this. Um, gosh, I think it was a podcast. I mean, the data engineering podcast or something like that. It was just one episode. It's not even a podcast I, it's even in my, I subscribe to. <clears throat> but it, what it was interesting about it to me was it was this guy who works for one of the, some company who they have a contract with the NBA. They are the like stats provider or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in every single NBA stadium and, and in several college ones as well, not stadium, what arenas, I guess, what yeah. they're called. They have all these cameras set up. Special cameras, and they you know, record video, but there's some kind of special cameras. Um, but they take all this video footage, and almost in real time is the cool part. Almost real time. It is this. Their systems know who has the ball, who assisted, who made the shot, where the ball is, who all the players are. And so what's cool is they sell all this stuff back to the NBA, but they also sell it to all the teams. And the teams have these systems that this company's built where they can say, uh, show me every player of the last year where player A assisted to player B, or I don't know, I don't know crap about basketball, but whatever, they can just make those really easy queries and just boom, pops it right up and there's a list of like 10 videos and you just click on one and you're watching it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. 
And I don't know if that's, I mean, I know it's a lot of machine. I don't think it's necessarily artificial intelligence, but it's definitely like a great example of machine learning, all kinds of machine learning, deep learning. And I think those type of technologies are going to be good. And I think, I think they'll continue to grow and continue to get better. And I think they'll continue to enhance our lives. But I just, I don't subscribe to the idea that it's taking over and we're going to have nothing to do and it's doom and gloom. No, but that's an example. I mean, you do have to think, I mean, it's, it's a valid conversation to say, okay, there, there used to be, all these NBA teams had employed an army of interns. They would say, and, and employees as well, sure. to say, hey, um, that same question. Show me every time where player A assisted player B and they made a, they scored, made a point from like more than, from the three-point line or something. And they'd have to go and pour over tons of footage and a week later they'd come back with, you know, some reels to watch. And those people don't have, they don't get paid for any of that anymore. Um, and the, and the good thing is the, all these, the coaches and the staff, they can have that answer in a split second and be watching it immediately. So the thing is like it, it's gotten better. Like, I mean, the product, I mean, the, the, just the productivity factor is just through the roof on this stuff. But it's the gotten better is, to serve humans. It's exactly. exactly. No, that's present, my point. To surface that's, things for that's humans kind of my to point. act on. It, it's kind of scary because you, what you see also that some people who had all this work to do now have none of that work is there anymore. Well, I see two sides to that just, as a tangent. That's my point. There are two sides to it. But, but it's still, one of those sides is still kind of scary just from a, from a human, like, who moved my cheese perspective. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think another side to that topic is, is a lot of this technology is validated by someone who has experience who says, yep, that, that algorithm produced the right output. Check. Yep, that algorithm produced the right output. Check. What happens when it's been automated for so long that that person who used to go check, that's right, has retired and has gone on? And now there's no one behind him with that experience. Okay, so what because happens the computer is computer has has gained all that experience. I will use my person. NBA example. When they say, "Hey, show me where player A assisted player B from a three point line and whatever," if they get one and that's not the case, they just mark it. It's right there, boom, and it sends that back as a as a negative feedback loop back into the learning system. And there, it's rare. They, this according to this guy, he said mm -hmm. it's, it's rare. It's like maybe one out of a hundred, but. When they, they, when they can tell us that that's not right, that goes right back into the training system. Yeah, but I, I see it as, as an atrophy of, uh, of experience because now you're just, you're just kind of point and clicking yes, no. It's almost like the Tinder of technology. You're just swiping left into the point you just, until you see something you like and, and, or right. I, don't, I never use Tinder. <laughs> so whatever way you're swiping sure. to say no, yes or no, I really haven't. Don't make me have to be a bad guy here. <laughs> But I, I think eventually the, that, that experience, oh, yeah, that grinder, muscle. Right? The what? <laughs> grinder. It's a grinder. What's grinder? <laughs> I, think, uh, I think it's an alternative to Tinder. Oh. I mean, for people who live an alternative lifestyle of some sort. Oh. <laughs> Probably shouldn't get into that. <laughs> some of those swipe to grind. Look, swipe to grind. Is no, that's, <laughs> no, possibly. I mean, that's the point, right? I guess. <laughs> Look it up when you get home. I'm gonna turn red. Don't, here. don't do it on don't do it on this Wi-Fi network though. Okay. <laughs> Why? This is the perfect place to do it. No, it's not. Because <laughs> I don't want. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if they keep logs or not. So, anyways, at some point you're just you're just you're mindlessly pointing and clicking until you see something you like, and and thus your your feedback mechanism is is not accurate. That's not what this, that's not what I described though. I mean, the system itself is like at least in this case it gets to a state where it's pretty accurate, and so it's. It's a it's the exception to the rule that it's wrong. And when you if they if it did get something wrong, you can just say, oh, huh, that's funny. That's not what we wanted. Boom, click. So it's not like you're constantly having to go. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, yes, no, 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 yes, no, yes, yes. You're not doing that. 
It's just on the rare occasions wrong, you can you can tell the system, oh, you were wrong about this. What I'm saying this. is is that through lack of experience, through lack of, of, of the ability to analyze something and and provide some kind of feedback, how do you know at some point that because the computer's been doing it for you for so long that you lose the ability to identify what's good and what's bad? At some well, point, they know when they, they know when they ask for player A and player B and you show them player C, any coach is going to know that. They're going to know that. I hear what you're saying. I mean, like, Especially like this is a bad example. What well, I guess what I'm saying is that at some point, I got an example. When you rely on the computer you to, too much, you lose experience. You want a great example? Okay. Okay. So my wife's car has this thing where it keeps you in your lane. Mm-hmm. Works great most of the time. Uh, there is an exit when we're coming down the tollway. And we mm-hmm. exit on Legacy. It tries to drive you directly into the concrete wall. Why? Because it thinks that's where you're supposed to go. That's probably. Am I not making? Your, is that not a great example of your point? Well, where we're just such morons that we, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's maybe that's a different case. I it's guess. a different. Well, I, I guess it's. A, it is a good point. Which is also why you're technically not supposed to take your hands off the wheel. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, is when these systems are trying to learn and they're trying to adapt to the way things change in our world, the variables mm-hmm. and the way it's trying to learn and engage input, and and if it's reliant on us as humans to do that. And yet we've turned that experience over to the computer, thus removing us from the from the ability to gain that experience ourselves. But we've turned, you know, double entry accounting over the computer. We did that 20 years ago. I mean, society hasn't fallen apart yet. Well, maybe it has. <laughs> but I don't think it was because of that. I think it's more because of Twitter. <laughs> but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about automation for productivity service. I'm talking about AI. I'm talking about the computer making decisions for us. I'm talking about the computer filtering a data set and saying, here's what you should care about. And yet, as right. as time moves or on, here, we need to care about new here things. Here are there leads. Here are the le- companies you should go try to sell to. Right, but there are other external factors, either emotional or or systemic or or whatever you want to say. There are other things that maybe not part of that original calculation that it has to learn about. But at some point in time, because we've relied on the computer for so long, there's no one who has that experience. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a future yeah. issue that I th- I think is is a possibility. Which is why I don't think it's ever going to get there. I think I think we're going to see that it's going to be a problem in the future that these algorithms are going to start to fail us because it's become we've relied on it so much that it's it's losing yeah. it's diverging yeah. from ours from us. <clears throat> they'll even they'll even know when they fail. They'll even know when they fail. Uh, see, yeah. You give you give the you give the silicon too much. Too hey, much, Benioff too much said that they have a seat at the board table for because all, all he's see, so smart. All I see is it, I, I, I see him. a swing. I, I see him. a pendulum swing. I see people over relying on this technology to the point it's going to fail them hard and it's going to swing back and we're going to find a new balance. That's the only point I'm trying to make. Okay. Well, John, we're a handful of beers in. We've been waxing ineloquently for quite a while now. There's I probably, I don't know, maybe my mom is still listening, but that's probably it. Your mom listens? Uh, so, if in case my mom would like to join our amazing Slack community, which is, I think it's up to like four or 500 people now or something like that. Um, how, how, could they, how could they do that? I mean, because there are people who are listening now for the first time, actually, which is kind of scary. I apologize. Um, we have a great Slack community with a bunch of smart people. And uh, I, actually, you know what I wanted to say? I've been I've been very pleased with a number of uh, women's names I've seen come across the request uh, channel. So I'm very pleased about that. 
Um, but if you would like to join the Slack community, well, how, how would you do that, John? Uh, you can go to our website, Good Day Sir Podcast. Or- no, no, I need you to speak up so people can hear this. GoodDaySirPodcast.com forward slash community. Enter your email address and I will add you in manually. Is that loud enough for you? <laughs> that was good. I'm proud of you, John. <laughs> and uh, those, those were some good questions we got today. And uh, if you would like to send us questions or complaints or just a topic you want us to talk about, we, we do those sometimes. That's info at GoodDaySirPodcast.com. John, did we get those, all those shirts sent out? Oh, man. So you're going to have to send me back. You're going to have to bring the box of shirts back to me. No, I promise I will send them. I will send them. I have the list ready. I and then I got. I tried to get organized, and I got all the shirts picked out. And then I just needed to stuff the envelopes and send them. And I failed at that. I apologize. Yeah. It's all on me, everyone. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. As long as it's on, as long as the ball is in your court, as we like to say in the consulting world. Right. The if I do not world. get them sent out this weekend, I will bring the box to Jeremy, and he will make sure it happens. And then he will he will yeah. publicly slash me. Well, or because flag, we have the little we have the little poly mailers. We have the shirts, obviously. Yes. In a worst case scenario, just stuff the shirts in them and take them to the desk up there, and they'll mail them for us. No, I got it. All right. And if I don't, you'll 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 make it hurt. All right. Well, I'm good. Are you good, John? I'm good. Yeah. And to that, I say. <laughs> what are you gonna say? Good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.